Open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1, please. We'll be looking at that passage today. As you're doing that, I'll tell you that this, this past week, my uh, second son, Cade, and I were able to serve out at Camp Good News uh, this week. It was our Legacy Changers week, meaning that uh, every camper that was there has a, a parent that is incarcerated. And so we just had a great week serving out there with Brian and Jenny Entner and their family. And I think there were, I think it, when I counted, about 10 other youth or college-age folks that were serving out there this week. So it, we had a great time uh, serving those kids. And um, Well, great but hard. I guess you could uh, communicate it that way. You know, a lot of these children come from very difficult home lives, and so... Uh, on a surface level, uh, behaviorally, it was very challenging to engage with them, uh, to deal with some of the behavioral issues that, that we are seeing. And, and I think also on a surface level, it's easy to get very annoyed by the behavior and, and get uh, upset and uh, angry. Um, but then once you hear their stories, you hear of a, a little girl who was witness to a murder and has to testify in court this week uh, because of that um, little boy who hopes that his father was getting out of jail on Friday night so he could take him to Dairy Queen. <laughs> these sweet stories of these children that are dealing with so much at home. And, you know, once we got involved in their lives and got beyond just the behavior, but really got involved with them, then our compassion began to grow. And, and really, that is the heartbeat behind this community compassion initiative that you've been seeing in your, your bulletin. Um, and in fact, if you wouldn't mind, would you just take that out of your bulletin? There's a, an insert in there that says community compassion. And let's do this all together. About two-thirds of the way down, you see there's a, there's a dark line there. And would you actually just rip that off, rip off that bottom third with me? I'll give you a second to do that. You may have read about this last week. Uh, in our bulletin, uh, but the community compassion team, the desire is to uh, help us as a church to grow in our compassion, uh, meaning that just as Cade and I at Legacy Changes, once we got involved with these kids, our compassion grew for them. Oftentimes, we need involvement to help grow our compassion. Now, we know God's word calls us to compassion, and the spirit living inside of us as believers can grow our compassion. But I think one of those tools God uses as well is that as we actually get involved, boots on the ground, hands in the dirt, get involved in compassion projects, our compassion can grow. And so you see on, on that insert that there is a list of, of compassion projects that, that you can be uh, involved in. And we're not to the point yet we're asking volunteers, okay, yeah, I, I want to do this compassion project. That'll come in September. What we're hoping for you to fill out on this little uh, a third sheet of paper, uh, one is, it, it, do you have any certain skills? On one side there it says that do you have any skills, whether it's you know, cooking, carpentry, organization, resume writing, anything like that that you can write down that would say, yeah, I could be used of this if there's a need. We'd love for you to fill that out and drop it at the Welcome Center on your way out. Um, the other side uh, asks for you if you want to come to an informational lunch on August 28th back here in Banquet Room A after our service. Now, let me be very clear here. That lunch is just not for those who just want to help with the projects. It is for people that will help organize these projects. We have point people for all, all of these projects listed here on this insert. We have people in charge of those. But they would like to gather a team of people that can kind of help 
communicate that to the church and get the church involved in that project. Does that make sense? And so we're guessing this informational lunch won't be a huge amount of people there. It'll be those people that say, yeah, I'll help organize these projects. But in September, look for it. We'll have signups to be involved in those projects. And so we hope that God uses, uses this as a great tool to help us to see as a church what are the next steps in our compassion and help us to see as, as a church where, where is God leading us as far as should it be a food, food pantry? Should it be this? Should it be this? We don't know what God has in store. But I think as God's people get involved in these projects, it might be helpful for us to know where the passions lie in our, our church. So uh, as we move throughout the sermon, I'm okay if you kind of phase out for a minute and fill this out, okay? You have permission here uh, from the sermon giver. Uh, if you'd like to fill that out, we'd love for you to put this at the Welcome Center if God moves in your heart that way uh, after, our, after our service. Well, um, obviously, as, as I mentioned, God's word drives us towards compassion, uh, drives us towards compassion for the disenfranchised. And so let, let's look at God's word this morning, I have, hopefully your Bibles are open to, to Psalm uh, chapter 1. Would you join me in just standing in honor of God's word? And I'll, I'll read this passage for us. Psalm 1, uh, the whole chapter, a short one, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. You may be seated. Why don't we pray together here. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. And as we think about, uh, as I, I reflect upon my, my week at, at Camp Good News, as, as we think as a, a church about having compassion for the disenfranchised, may your word be alive to us this morning. May we leave this theater changed and on the path towards future change. God, we in invite you to mold us, to, to shape us, knowing that left to ourselves, we cannot change. We desperately need you this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There I sat, unopened Bible in my hands, feeling intimidated, alone, and almost berated. Across the room was my counselor, a man I was trying to trust, but truth be told, I feared. My greatest desire at that moment was to back my chair up as far away from him as I could. Instinctively, I knew this man didn't care about me. He found amusement in my insecurities and offered no relief for my pain. I wanted as much distance between the two of us as I could get. I'd never been in counseling before, and I assumed this must be just what it's like. Difficult. I chose a Christian counseling center because somehow I knew the word of God held the answers to healing the brokenness in my life. For years, I tried to figure out how to make my life work on my own. I went to Bible study after Bible study, trying to put the pieces together, but I failed. 
In my own strength, I couldn't bring it all together in an effective way and live it out. So I turned to the professionals for help. Although at this point I could not have clearly identified my problem, I did know that the answer was somewhere in my Bible, which remained unopened during my first session and on my lap. By the end of my second session, my head was spinning. What was happening? I thought I was doing the right thing by seeking what I assumed to be godly counsel. But there was no relief in sight, only more questions and confusion. By the grace of God, I ran out of money and had to cancel my last three appointments. Here we find a testimony of a woman used by permission trying to find answers for her life. She found a counselor that was thinking the answers came outside of God's word. In fact, encouraging her, she'd say later in her testimony, to divorce her husband during each of her two counseling sessions with him. That does kind of feed our flesh, doesn't it? I can escape out of the misery. I, I can do things my own way. I can find my own way. Our flesh tells us to delight in this, doesn't it? To, to delight in instructions that are contrary to God's word. But the scripture provides the believer with life-giving counsel and joy. The scripture provides the believer life-giving counsel and joy. This morning we'll be studying a psalm, and I, I think this is only the second time in our three-year, almost three-year history that we've studied a psalm, a, a piece of, of poetry. So I know for some of you I've lost you already. The idea of poetry just is not your cup of tea. Um, so um, before I lose you, let me, let me say this. If you gathered up all the poetry that's in your Bible, it would equal the length of the New Testament. So poetry is a pretty important thing to God. And therefore, for us, it should be very important. If I still have not won you over yet, maybe this will. The other day I was driving along, flipping through the radio dial, and I landed on a station playing songs from the 80s. You know, I'm 35 years old. I'm kind of a child of the 80s. And I knew every song they played. In fact, I was a little aghast how I could sing almost every word to every song that was played on that station. Now, before you judge me... um, there, there is something about songs, aren't there, that, that drive something deep down within us, that tap into our emotions in a lot of ways. That's the book of Psalms, okay? So stay with me. The Psalms is poetry put to music. Why? To take God's instruction and to, to, to drive it down deep into our souls so we can understand it. We can realize the importance of God's instruction in our lives. Psalm 1, the chapter we're looking at this morning, has been described as the gateway to the book of Psalms. The focus of this chapter brings to the entire book this. Those who want to worship God with a genuine heart must embrace his law. So I said earlier, the scripture provides the believer with life-giving counsel and joy. Well, let's look at the man in this tale of two who receives this life-giving counsel and joy. The blessed man. We see this in, in verse 1, that the blessed man delights. In verses 1 through 3, the, the blessed man delights. This term blessed here means truly happy. The idea here um, is that this word was originally, a, 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 in its original Hebrew form, was a plural word, word. So one could literally translate it, 
the blessednesses. The blessednesses. That's how we could translate uh, this word. Overwhelming blessedness. Overwhelming happiness. So we see that the blessed man delights, and we see in letter A what he doesn't do. What the blessed man does not do. And in summary, he does not guide his life based on instruction of those who reject Christ. He doesn't guide his life based on the instruction of those that reject Christ, or even those that would say uh, they are a Christian but don't follow uh, the, the biblical mandates. So let's look at, back at, at verse 1 here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now there's a couple different interpretations of, of this first verse here. Uh, one is that this is a uh, progression here. Uh, this is a, a progression that it kind of builds upon itself. The other is that this is a, all those three lines there are, are kind of all repeating the same, the same thing. I want to walk through both interpretations, and honestly, I'm, I'm comfortable with, with both of them. Uh, I don't think either one of them uh, are, are unbiblical at all. But first, let's, let's talk about the progression here. First, the blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, there is a counsel that we can take from the wicked, isn't there? Uh, it, it's bad counsel, but we can take counsel from the wicked. And in fact, I would say that each of us are counselors. It's just a matter of are we good counselors or are we bad counselors? Um, and in this context, it says, does not take counsel from the wicked. Well, who are the wicked here? Well, in the original context here, writing to Israel, it's those outside of, of Israel. They're called the wicked. But also could include those who are a part of Israel who are not following God's uh, moral conduct. Uh, so, and time again, we, we do see uh, those of you who, who, who have read your Old Testament, we see Israelites taking counsel uh, from the wicked. And, and boy, how did it turn out for them? Right? It, it doesn't go well. Keep, keep your finger in, in Psalm 1 and, and turn to, to Judges chapter 2. Okay, We've we got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, if you start from the front of your Bible. Uh, Judges chapter 2 is right after the death of, of Joshua a great leader of, of Israel. And boy, how quickly the hearts of the Israelites change here as they took counsel from the wicked. Uh, let's read Judges 2, um, 11 through 15. It says there, the, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers. Again, this is just after Joshua's death. They turned so quickly, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Verse 13, they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies. They could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned, as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. We see this true also, I'll read it for you in 1 Kings. We know the story, many of you know the story of King Solomon. He loved many foreign women, it says in 1 Kings 11, verse 1, along with the daughter of, of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonite, Hittite women, 
from the nations concerning which the Lord has said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. As we keep reading it, it says just that. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Walking in the counsel of the wicked. Secondly, it says that the, what the blessed man does not do is he does not stand in the seat of scoffers. Um, he knows that if he begins to walk in the counsel of the wicked, he'll be tempted to slow down. He'll be tempted to slow down and, and, and stop and, and stand with those that are giving ungodly counsel. Now, the blessed man will not tolerate this. Now, standing in the way of sinners does not mean he was standing kind of blocking them, keeping them at bay. It meant he stepped right into the stream, stepped right into the stream in order to be with the sinners. The blessed man does not do this. He won't engage in evil. And as the progression continues, he won't sit in the seat of scoffers or mockers, the NIV says. He doesn't entertain spending time sitting with those who would say there is no God and those that do believe in God are fools and are ignorant. So that's our first interpretation, the progression. And yeah, I, I, there's some merit in that interpretation, I believe. Now, the second interpretation is, is just a simple synonymous parallelism. That there is, these are just parallels one of another. And it, it's quite possible that, that wicked and sinner are just synonyms for each other. Maybe scoffer. It might be a little more, bit more committed to evil practices. Uh, many verses in the Psalms are, are, have parallelisms. In fact, if you just look at Psalm 2, verse 4, if you flip back to Psalm, Psalm 2, verse 4 in NIV says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at him. So you see the parallels there. Uh, Psalm 3, verse 1, if you look at that one, O Lord, how many are your foes? Many are rising against me. So you see how that could be viewed, these three lines, as parallelisms. So I'm comfortable with either interpretation. I think the key here for us as believers in, in Jesus Christ is to see the danger of listening to other counselors, to see the danger of being influenced by the world around us. And, and we see this, let me give you another biblical example of, of Adam and Eve. Uh, as, as they are uh, created, God gives them 15 different instructions. He gives them the garden, says, have at it. And then in Genesis 3, verse 1, another counselor shows up. Another counselor, Satan, in serpent form, says, did God actually say, causing Adam and Eve to question the sufficient instruction from God and causes them to uh, listen to another, another counselor? So I think if we bring this to our doorstep, to us today, what does this look like for us? The wicked are those who are not believers those who are not in a covenant relationship with God. And we cannot rely on man-centered counsel, but must rely on the commandments of the Lord. Now, I borrowed this illustration uh, a bit from Joshua, uh, Joshua Harris' sermon. Um, but it can be very tempting for us to fall into this trap that these three lines give us. So um, if I'm walking in the, the counsel of, of the wicked, yeah, I might think to myself, well, this is not so bad. I'm, I'm walking in the counsel of the wicked. I'm, uh, I'm just walk. I could always walk away from the counsel of the wicked if I wanted to. But I'm just walking here because, you know, as a Christian, I'm supposed to really um, you know, be relevant to the culture around me. So how would I do that if I'm not? If I don't walk with the wicked, right? Because I mean, they don't have such bad things to say. I mean, of course, they're called wicked, but 
I'm just walking with them. And in fact, don't, don't judge me. I, I can walk. Don't just leave me alone. I'm walking in the counsel of the wicked, and I'm fine. In fact, what's the big difference if I just stand? It's not a big deal. I'm standing in the way of sinners. I mean, I can always like duck out this way, and they can go right by me. You know, but you know, some of their counsel's not bad. It makes a lot of sense. In fact, those seven hidden secrets to a Christian marriage weren't bad. You know, they didn't share much biblical support for them, but they sounded pretty good, you know. And in fact, you know, if I'm just standing here, it's not a big deal if I just sit, right? Because God wants me to be comfortable, right? I could just sit in the seat of scoffers. And in fact, their jokes are pretty funny. <laughs> Did you hear that last one? Yeah, that was really funny. It is very easy for us as believers, isn't it? Before we know it, we're seated in the seat of scoffers. God's not really loving. How could God allow this to happen to me? Well, we found ourselves walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners and seated in the seat of scoffers, listening to unbiblical counsel. And we begin to doubt who God is. We can easily find ourselves listening to the counsel of the world. And as believers, sometimes I don't think we even understand how much we've allowed the world to creep into our thinking. So take, take the idea of the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, I became a believer when I was in, in junior high. That's when I professed that uh, I, I wanted Christ to come into my life to pay the penalty for my sin. And out of his great grace, uh, he paid that penalty. And I began a relationship with God through, through Christ. And... Uh, you know, when it came to the sufficiency of Scripture, meaning that this, the Bible has answers for all of life's problems, it, it's not that I didn't believe in it. I just didn't hear anybody teaching it. I mean, I was born in the pew or theater seat, and, and I had never even heard anybody talk about how the Bible has answers for all of my life's issues. I was influenced by books that had man-centered counsel in them, even ones that were called Christian ones. And I'd even memorized 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, I just didn't keep reading. I didn't keep reading. In verse 17, why is the scripture read out by God? That the man of God might be competent, equipped for most of the good works God has called him to. For some of the works God has called you to. Now, what does verse 17 say? For every good work the scripture is breathed out by god this book has been given to me and for all those who have placed their faith in jesus christ to equip us for every single work you have in your life for everything that you're going to struggle with this book has the answer it's god's very words breathed out to you i went to illinois state university for my undergrad i have a degree in elementary education and I had an English professor there who was really held in high esteem in the campus community for his insights into the human mind, for even into spiritual things. He was a devout atheist and, and reader of Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, student after student would tell of his impact on their lives and how his counsel helped shave, help shape their lives. Now this is the scripture. It describes him as foolish, futile caught. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 23 says, let no one deceive himself. 
If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. The scripture describes him as foolish, futile, and caught by the Lord. Pastor Mark Dutton says this, the blessed man is not to walk in drumbeats contrary to God's word. He does not become accustomed to these philosophies by continually walking in, standing with, and sitting among. The Expositor's Bible commentary says, Psalm 1 holds forth the blessedness of godliness, encouraging the godly to pursue the way of God over and against the way of the world. We know this to be true, right? We, we know Romans 12 do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The blessed man delights because of what he doesn't do. But he also delights because of what he does. Let's look back at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Oh, the blessedness is for the believer today. Now, in the, in the Hebrew here, they're talking about the Torah, right? The, the, the Israelites had the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. But for, for, for today, for us believers, how much more of God's breathed out word do we have in the Old Testament than the New Testament? Oh, the blessedness is what a joy that we have to meditate on God's word. Now, this idea of meditating, it's active pondering. Active pondering. Um, I, was, I was nearby Pastor Daniel, our teaching pastor, when someone asked him the question, how many hours a week do you spend on your sermon? How many hours a week do you spend on your sermon? And maybe you have a number in your head, okay? Maybe it's five hours, maybe it's 25 hours. I don't know what number's in your head. But you know what Daniel's answer was? Kind of tongue-in-cheek a little bit. But I think a lot of truth is, you know what he said? Every minute of every hour of every day until I stand up there on Sunday morning. First of all, what a great teaching pastor we have, right? <laughs> Second of all, that's a picture of meditating on God's word, active pondering. Now, we've all seen uh, the, the homeless man on the street, and he's, he's pacing back and forth, and he's kind of mumbling something, right? <laughs> Next time you see that man, think about that. Think about this. That's what this picture is giving you in verse 2. That this active pondering, this meditating, it's, it's like we're almost mumbling God's word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, and stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law we meditate day and night. We ponder it, we think about it, we mull it over, we can't stop thinking about God's word. That's the picture of the, 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 delight, the delight that is pondering, meditating in God's word. And it says that he meditates on it day and night. The ideal of facing every situation, the ESV study Bible note says, to face every situation, be it ever so mundane, with a view to please the Lord by knowing and following his word. Why do we ponder it day and night? Because we can t every situation we come with very mundane to the very crises of life. We're pondering God's word, we're meditating on it, we're applying it to every situation that we go through. We need to do this 
because of the activity of the world around us trying to impress upon us counsel that is not from God. I mentioned earlier my professor at ISU, I, I believe God really used him in my life um, to kind of rattle me a little bit, to rattle my faith, to see do I really believe what I believe and, and how much of this do I really believe? Um, is the Bible really worth me meditating on it day and night? I had to wrestle with that question. You know, some logical reasoning that I had, I had to weigh through in, in believing the sufficiency of Scripture is, is some would say, the Bible's good, but we also need this, or the Bible's good, and we also need that. And I had to ponder that, and, and I thought, does it seem logical that God would keep us guessing? Now, I understand that my logic can be flawed, okay? I could eat something that turns my stomach, that causes my logic to be flawed. But as I thought through it logically, I look at Romans 8, 32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. This gracious God that, that gives all, why would he give me this book full of 66 books in there? And why would he say, okay, good luck with the rest. I hope it works out for you. You're going to have these other struggles and problems, but I'm going to give you something that will handle most of them, but not all of them. So I, I hope it works out well for you. That, that's not the, the gracious God who, who abundantly blesses us. That's not the gracious God that I know. And so as I, I began to process this, I, I looked afresh at passages like 2 Timothy 3 that said all scripture is God breathed so I could be equipped for every good work. And the words just leapt off the page. Every good work. Every good work. Praise the Lord. He's given me the sufficient scripture to look to in the midst of all of my struggles, all my trials, all the ministries I'm involved in. Is the Bible worthy of my meditation day and night? Yes. Yes. A thousand times yes. The scripture is sufficient. Is it worthy of us to meditate on day and night? Yes. Why? Because it points us to an all-sufficient God. It points us to Christ. It points us to the one who sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins. We can say, hallelujah, I'm saved. And we can look at the scripture and say, thank you, Lord, for giving me this instruction manual that can help me in everything. Recently, I came across a discussion on the Gospel Coalition website between Tim Keller John Piper and D.A. Carson, some of the great thinkers of our faith, they were discussing the scripture and they, they entitled the discussion, Make the Bible Your Thing. Make the Bible Your Thing. And John Piper said this, The legacy I want to leave is not Christian hedonism or other things that he has said. He said, The legacy I want to leave is utter, utter devotion to the particularities of all of the Bible." That's the legacy he wanted to leave, to teach others to be devoted to the particularities of the Bible. Carson chimed in, then there is potential for self-correction under the authority of the Bible. So the blessed man meditates on God's word day and night. Let's look at what else he does. Verse 3, it says he's like a tree planted by streams of water. That yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. So because he does not do the things mentioned in verse 1, he takes wiser counsel in the commandments of God's word. He takes it in, allowing it to permeate all that he is to the point where his life is exemplified by putting away wicked things and holding dear, righteous things. 
scoffing, mocking the Lord is far from this man's mindset as he's renewed in his mind and spiritual things are of the highest value for him to consider. So he's described as a tree here. Now you could think about this in the arid region in which the Israelites are. How, why, why a tree planted up by streams of water would be just a wonderful picture for the man that delights in God's word. You'll notice it's not a, a wild tree, or as my dad would say, junk trees. They're just kind of planted haphazardly uh, in awkward places. This tree is planted intentionally. It's cultivated. How do we know that? It's planted by streams of water. So if one stream were to stop flowing, it's doing just fine. Multiple streams of water are helping this tree to grow. There is abundance here if one river should fail. It yields its fruit in its season, the scripture says. It yields good fruit and at the right times. Charles Spurgeon says this, This man brings forth patience in the time of suffering, faith in the day of trial, and holy joy in the hour of prosperity. He is ready. Now many of you have seen people experiencing incredibly hard things in life, and you've seen them respond in godly ways. And our mindset could be, well, I hope that if I would ever experience what this person has gone through, that I would respond in the same way. I would hope I would. I'm not confident I would. But I really hope I would respond in a godly way like my friend has as they've gone through this horrific situation. That person's a tree. They're a tree. They're ready. They're ready. They've been meditating on God's word day and night. They are planted by streams of water. They are yielding its fruit in its season. Brings forth patience in the time of suffering, faith in the day of trial, and holy joy in the hour of prosperity. This person is empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit works in his, in his or her life to yield fruit at the appropriate time. Ready. They're ready. So it yields fruit in its season. It also says their leaf does not wither. The deeds of this man are not fleeting. They last. Not only does the fruit last, but the leaves last as well. And all that he does, he prospers. The fruit that this man produces is not for himself. We need to be very careful here and not think the prosperity gospel. All he does, he prospers. He has lots of money and great health and all these things. What's the purpose of this fruit? The purpose of this fruit is to prosper those around him. All that he does prospers, prospers all of those around him. Now, in the front of my Bible, I have uh, a list of men that have impacted my life. Um, they've impacted my life because of their passion for God, their passion for his word. And um, these, these men, to me, are like trees planted by streams of water whose fruit has yielded and their leaves have not withered. I've learned very much from these men in moments like this when, uh, when Kent Cloder is on my list here. When he takes his glasses off, <laughs> about to say something, he's about to yield fruit that will prosper me. When Kevin Martin's voice gets very low to the point where you can hardly audibly hear him, <laughs> he's about to yield fruit that will prosper me. When Daniel Bennett starts a question with, what do you think is, he's about to yield fruit that will prosper me. When Mike Chambers says, you got time for a quick question? <laughs> He's about to yield fruit to prosper me. 
when Denny Langworth says, let me ask you something, Ben. He's about to yield fruit that will prosper me. This list is longer than these five names, and there'll be no, more names written in here, I'm sure, as my life goes on, Lord willing. But these men are among many other men and women in this church whose leaves do not wither, who yield fruit and prosper others. That's the point of this prospering. So what does it look like? What does this look like to have the Bible be your delight? To make the Bible your thing, to be like a tree. Well, I asked our Bethany community staff and elders via email two questions. What makes God's word delightful to you? And what passage in particular is delightful to you? Here's what I got back from them. I thought you'd enjoy these. One said, I delight in God's word because it magnifies the greatness of his steadfast love throughout all history. Psalm 104 helps me to think of God's greatness and how that motivates me to sing praise to him as long as I live. Another said, I often struggle with keeping an eternal perspective on life. Work draws me into all kinds of struggle of a very temporary value. I delight in having God's word bring his amazing character and purposes back into focus. A passage that's particularly delightful in this way is Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Another said, I delight in God's word for many reasons. One thing that God is teaching me more and more is that he is completely in control of everything. He is sovereign, not just the good things, but in all things, even the hard things in my life, the things I don't understand why they are happening. God's word helps remind me that I can find delight in trusting him completely through everything. One said, what makes God's word delightful to me? It gives me Jesus in John 1. Brings rejoicing to my heart in Jeremiah 15. Brings me wisdom in Proverbs 1. Brings me companionship in Psalm 119. Gives me answers in 2 Timothy 3. Gives me refuge and strength in Psalm 46. Gives me endurance, encouragement, and hope in Romans 15. Gives me stability, clear thinking in Psalm 19. What's Psalm 19 say? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. This is what it looks like to delight in God's word. Well, the title of the sermon is The Tale of Two. So there's another person we need to look at. Let's look at them briefly. The wicked man. The wicked man despairs. The wicked man despairs. Starting in verse 4, it says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Who are the wicked? We, we talked about this already. 
right, those outside of Israel in the context in which we're reading, but also could be those within Israel that are not living out God's moral standards. So as we leap from the Old Testament and cross that river to the New Testament, what's this mean for us who are the wicked, those who are outside of a relationship with God? Their identity is not a child of God. Their identity is a person that is wicked. We don't speak of that in an arrogant way like those of us who are now our identity is in Christ have have through some of our own merit have earned our identity being in Christ it's by the grace of God but these wicked are not justified before Christ they are not innocent before Christ they're described like chaff now a few weeks ago pastor Daniel kind of described chaff and wheat and winnowing and all that and I, I I'm not a farmer. I don't really understand all of that. So I went to a source of great wisdom, YouTube, to figure out what does all this mean, threshing grain. And so uh, threshing, from what I saw on this great source of wisdom in YouTube, was basically squeezing and beating out the grain out of the stalk, getting the grain out of the plant. Winnowing, then, is when some type of wind is used to take to, to separate the plant from the grain so that you can just deal with the grain this was done in, in many ways it could just be by by throwing it up in the air uh, with a pitchfork so the grain would fall the gravity and and the plant the wind would take the plant away in modern days they were using fans to blow the, the rest of the plant away but they all these different processes had one thing in common the chaff the, the dead plant is unwanted and not needed. It's easily blown away. In fact, just from pouring uh, from one bucket into another in a light wind, this chaff could be easily blown away. And, and that is how the scripture describes the wicked. They are like chaff, easily blown away. What a contrast here, isn't it? To the blessed man who's planted, cultivated, roots driven deep into these streams of water and his yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. What a contrast, this chaff easily just blown away. These counselors that we as believers can be tempted to walk with, to stand in the way of and to sit with are like chaff, dead spiritually, have nothing to offer the blessed man. In fact, the wicked will not stand before the Lord and be welcomed by him. Verse 6 says that they will perish. The easy application for us as believers today is to throw off worldly counsel. In fact, to consider why would we consider it at all when we have God's breathed out word at our fingertips. Now, there, there may be man-created insights that are descriptive for us, that, that might be helpful to describe what we're going through. But as my friend Kevin Souter said, you must be careful not to allow those things to be prescriptive. There may be some man-centered things that God has allowed man to think of and, and to uh, develop that would be descriptive of the human condition. But we need to be very careful not to allow those things to be prescriptive. There's only one prescriptive counsel for us, and that's in God's word. The scripture provides the believer with this life-giving counsel 
and joy. While our flesh tells us to delight in things other than God's word, we hear the call of God saying, delight in my book. Delight in my word. It gives you life. Now, I want to end our time together here where I began and read the rest of the testimony of this woman. I read this not for the glory of Bethany, but for the glory of God. She continued, I left my counselor's office more confused than ever. A friend shared with me that Bethany had a biblical counseling ministry. It was open to everyone and free of charge. Immediately, I knew this was a second chance for me at godly counsel. After a very easy phone call and a few emails, I had an appointment with my new biblical counselor. I was thankful for another shot at receiving help, but fearful that I may never find the answers for which I was so desperately searching. I arrived at my first appointment. After I spent a while sharing my life experiences, failures, and hurts, my tears cried out for help in a way that my proud heart was unable. Then I was asked to open my Bible. Yay. It actually says that. Yay. <laughs> my heart leapt and was immediately put at ease knowing that this was the place and these were the people who could help me find truth for my problems, grounded in God's wisdom, not man's advice. Again, glory to God, right? I met with my new counselor two or three times, and at each session, he literally had me read scripture to answer the questions I was asking. Question after question, he presented me with the answer sovereignly planted in the word of God. The Holy Spirit took a hold of my heart and challenged my thinking in a place so deep I could no longer deny my sin. I needed to change. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it, Jeremiah 17, 9 says. My imperfect marriage wasn't the root of my problem. My own heart was. I spent years listening to unbiblical teachers on TV who presented themselves as God's representatives, misusing God's word and leading me astray. They taught me to focus not on becoming more like Christ by his power and his love, but to focus totally on myself, my power, and my desires. Now finally the truth was coming together for me little by little as I kept my center on my almighty father. I would have to write an entire book to be able to share every lesson I learned on this journey. But the most important change was my focus on God's word being the complete and utter truth. Every answer I have ever needed and will ever need is right there between Genesis and Revelation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this testimony of this dear woman who has found your life-giving joy and counsel in the scriptures. Thank you for your word. We don't worship your word. We worship you. We worship the one that the scripture points us to. And Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy of all of our worship. You are worthy of all of our sacrifice. We bring nothing to the table, Lord. You are the giver of everything. Thank you for giving us life through your son. And thank you for your all-sufficient word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.